0: We're going to continue this morning speaking into the theme of miracles. And I know you as a church have been speaking on different miracles this last couple of weeks. And just as a reminder that it's not just our citywide church that has embraced this theme this year, but it's our international movement of churches. Throughout the world, every every nation is preaching into this theme, miracles, for a very specific reason. We believe God still does miracles today. Miracles did not cease with the apostolic age, did not cease when those first early church members in Acts stopped living. God is still doing miracles today. And God does these miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit to bless people and advance His kingdom. So it's not just us seeking miracles Yes, some of us might go through situations where we need God's provision. We need God's healing. We need God to come through and bring breakthrough. And we ask for those miracles. We seek for those miracles so that we will be blessed by the grace of God. But ultimately, we want to say, God, may we see the move of your spirit in us as individuals in church so that your kingdom will expand, so that others will get to know you. It's about us and them. And therefore, we speak of miracles, and we are looking at specific miracles throughout the Gospel of John. And this morning, we're going to look at a specific miracle where Jesus enters a specific situation to demonstrate the mercy of God. If you can, just try and remember this. Jesus enters a specific situation to demonstrate the mercies of God. And my hope for us this morning is that God will enter our specific situations and so that we may experience the mercy of God. And ultimately that others will experience the mercy of God through what Jesus does in our lives. So we're going to look at the healing of the paralyzed man. And we find this in chapter 5 of the book of John. So if you have your Bible here with you, I would love you to turn to John. The scripture will also be on the screen if you don't have your Bible, we're here with you. I'm not going to tell Donnie and the eldest. That's fine. Okay. But if you have your Bible, please follow me uh, as we're going to read together from John chapter 5, verse 1. Before we read, let's pray and dedicate our time in the Word unto God. Lord Jesus, we thank you that what you've done so many years ago is timeless and still relevant to our lives today. Lord, as you touch this person's life, so we pray that you would touch our lives today. And Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can, by faith, declare this morning that your word is powerful, that your word is alive and active, and Lord, we choose to humble and submit ourselves unto the authority of your word. And Lord, as we do this, we pray that you would come by your spirit, that you would bring balsam for our hearts, that you would guide our thoughts, that you would strengthen our soul, and that you would lead us into your will and your purposes. Lord, I pray that your word will bear fruit in our lives and that it will not just be moments, but Lord, that you would, by the power of your word and the power of your spirit, come and bring change in our lives, not for our sake, Lord, but for your sake, for your kingdom. Lord, we declare again, Lord, as we look at your word, it's not about us, Lord, it's about you. And therefore, Lord, we pray, may your perfect will be done through your word. Amen. So let's read together. I'm going to read from the NIV translation, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. We'll pause just there for a moment. We can sometimes create these Instagram pictures of biblical accounts. And what I mean by this is we'll read a story, we'll read a, a specific account um, in the Bible, and then we'll form these Instagram visions in our minds. We'll we'll shape a picture, we'll try to imagine the setting. And usually we do this seeing this well-edited picture, an Instagram post. It's got perfect lighting, perfect exposure. We see a well-dressed Jesus with his white columns, this beautiful setting, Jesus steeping down to this lion man. It's just even and the lion man, and it's just this perfect Instagram picture of what's happening here. And listen, there's nothing wrong with creating a picture of the setting of what might be happening, but the reality of this setting is most probably much different than what we're imagining. The reality of what Jesus is entering is definitely not the Instagram account or version of the Bible. We see that this setting is near the sheep gate. Now, who of you knew, know why this gate in Jerusalem is called the sheep gate? Anyone want to take a guess? It's exactly what Yaku said. There's no profound reason. It's the gate that they use to help the sheep enter into Jerusalem. It's the gate through which the sheep and other livestock came into the city on their way to the temple to be sacrificed. Now, for a moment, can you taint your Instagram picture of the setting with the image of livestock? Because this pool is near this gate that, where the sheep and livestock would come in. And then for a moment, just this Instagram picture, would you taint that with the sights the smells and the sounds and everything else that comes with livestock. This is part of the setting. Which is more, we read that there was a, a great, there was a multitude of people lying there. Lame, sick, and blind, paralyzed people, lying at the pool of a tester. Now we might form an image of this small pool like you would see in your yard, but it was more likely that it was the size of a, of a rugby field or bigger. So when they say there's a great multitude of people lying there, it's probably hundreds lying around this massive pool. And being paralyzed and lame, we can assume that most of them probably struggle to wash themselves regularly. We can assume that this pool of Bethesda had some unpleasant sights and smells. We can assume, safely assume, that as these people are lying there next to this pool, it's probably some of them crying, weeping aloud, some of them screaming, calling out for help, some of them just wailing and asking. See, the reality of this picture is not Instagram, everything about this picture Speaks about hopelessness, despair, and desperation. This is the messy reality that Jesus is entering. It's messy. And it reminds me that Jesus did not come for the Instagram versions of our lives, but Jesus came for the messy, desperate, and hopeless versions. Jesus didn't enter this world for the Instagram version of your heart. He came for the messy, desperate, and hopeless version. See, what's more, we see that this pool um, was called Bethesda. And people believed that they would receive healing from this pool of Bethesda. Now, Bethesda, if it was translated, would mean house of mercy. So people believed that there was an angel that came down from heaven and the angel would stir this water and then whoever got into the water first while the water was stirred that person would be healed that wasn't necessarily true it was just something that the culture believed so people lie lay next to this pool of bethesda this house of mercy trusting to receive healing Whenever the pool was stirred, there was a mercy moment, and people were putting their faith and trust and hope in receiving mercy through this pool. They were looking for mercy and healing at the pool of Bethesda, this place of mercy. Even today, people are still searching for various kinds of healing at different places of mercy. Even today, people are looking for various kinds of healing at different places of mercy. Our culture has multitudes of people who, for the sake of this sermon, spiritually blind. People who are, whose souls feel lame or even dead. People who are emotionally paralyzed, crippled by fear, anxiety, stress, depression, and burnout. And all of us who's facing these realities, who's either spiritually blind or our souls feel lame or paralyzed by our emotions, all of us try to find healing, spiritual healing and emotional healing at different places of mercies. We put our hope in modern-day Bethesda's. Trusting these Bethesda's for healings, for our emotions and our souls. Modern-day Bethesda's like... Money. Thinking that if I, if I have enough, then surely I will feel significant. If I have enough, then I will feel safe. If I have enough finances, then I can do what I want. If I have enough finances, then surely then I will be happy. And we try to crawl into this pool of financial betestas, hoping to find healing for our souls. And we miss the purpose that God had behind financial wealth. We try to seek and trust this provision of money for healing for souls and our emotions. Some of us jump from um, this place of hurt into a Bethesda of relationships. We will do anything and everything to be accepted by a certain group of people or by a specific individual. And we're trusting that in this relationship, when I compromise everything about who I am and what God has called me to, then surely if this person loves and accepts me, then there will be healing for my emotions. Or if this group of people, I will find significance in being part of them. For some of us, a modern-day Bethesda is substances, different substances that we run to to feel better, to revive something in our soul, to revive something in our emotions. We'll run to the substance of food. It was a shock for me during this fast this year to realize how much I'm an emotional eater. When something bad happens, I had a really, really difficult conversation with someone that I I deeply love and appreciate that week, And and my first thought was, geez, I'm hungry now. And I make it a little bit like, but for some of us, food is a substance that makes us feel better. There's different substances alcohol. Alcohol has become the Batista to cope with life, various forms of drugs to help us go through life. Modern day Batistas. Some people jump into the pool of sexual pleasures. Trying to find significance. Feeling satisfied in a certain way. Some people try to find healing for their soul. Swimming in pornography. Some people think a Batista is to have a certain image and a certain look and everything about this life. you're, You're pulling towards looking like the Instagram version of yourself surely if you look like that, you will feel better. Some of us turn to us where we find our significance in what we do. We try to feel healing and restoration through our performance. The more I do, the more successful I am, the greater healing I will receive. See, the problem with these modern-day Bethesda's That for a moment, they make us feel better. If we're really honest, for a moment, they promise healing. For a moment, it is great to have finances to do whatever you want. Let's be honest. If you had to choose to go away this weekend because you can or to stay at home because you can't, you'll choose to go because you can. And for a moment, that'll be great. For a moment, being accepted by a group of people will feel great. For a moment, to do what you want. For a moment, to, to, to just look the way you want. For a moment, to be successful. It feels good momentarily. But the, promise, the prom, problem with these modern-day Bethesda's, it makes us feel better momentarily. Therefore, it gives us hope of healing without lasting change. So all of us need to ask. What is your betesta? What's the thing that you're putting your faith and hope and trust in for that area of your soul, that area of your emotions that needs healing? And I think it would be fair to say all of us have those areas. All of us have those areas where we're just not walking in the freedom that Jesus has given us. So what's your modern-day Bethesda? What's the thing that you're turning to? Your hope and your trust for healing. So if we continue verse 5. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? What a significant question. Do you want to get well? And this is a question that all of us at one stage or another in this life needs to answer. I mean, this man is lying next to the pool, hoping to receive healing. Why does Jesus tell him, do you want to get well? What Jesus is asking him is, do you really want to see change in your life? It's a question that every one of us at one stage in life needs to answer. Some of us need to answer this more than once. Do you want to see change in your life? And this is how he responds. Verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when when the water is stirred, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. This man's answer to Jesus is full of helplessness and hopelessness. Do you want to get well? And this is what he answers Jesus every time that the water is stirred, there's no one to help me. I'm helpless. And when I try, there's someone else that goes ahead in front of me. It's hopeless doesn't help that I'm trying. This is probably two of the greatest lies that the enemy wants to tell us whenever we're facing times of struggles or deserts or healing, where the enemy wants us to believe we are helpless and hopeless. Helpless, you are alone. You're the only one who's struggling with this. There's no one that can help you. There's no one that knows what's happening on. You're the only one. You are helpless. And when you try to change, when you try to be better, when you try not to run to these betestas, when you you try to do what you know needs to be done, you fail horribly, and there's something that goes, you are hopeless. Helpless and hopeless. I don't know about you, but I'm saddened by this man's answer. I mean, Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? For 38 years, this man is lying next to the pool, waiting to receive healing. And we would expect, here's Jesus asking him, do you want to get well? What do you think this man is going to answer? What's your, what's your, what do you think he's going to do? If it was you lying there for 38 years, what would you do? Yes, finally someone that offers to help you to get into the thing that you're trusting your hope in you would probably go, yes, 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 I want to get better. I want to be healed. I want to see change. Yes, please help me. But this is not the response. In fact, this paralyzed man is so focused on his challenges and his circumstances and his hope in the Bethesda that he misses the one who's standing in front of him. He's so focused on there's no one to help me. And when I try it, hopeless. I cannot get into the batista that he missed, that the only one who has the power to heal him, Jesus, is standing right in front of him. Instead of saying, yes, Lord, he's saying, I can't. It's helpless, it's hopeless. Healing is too far away. And his circumstances and his challenges and what he's placing his hope in is keeping him away from experiencing Jesus. See, we need to realize we can get so focused on our circumstances and our challenges and the things that we're trusting for that we can miss what God wants to do in our lives. We can get so focused on the challenges, so focused on the things that we think needs to happen that we miss what God wants to do in that moment. So we need to ask ourselves, when facing these challenges and circumstances, what are you focusing on? Should focus on this challenge, being helpless, being hopeless, this hope being too far, impossible, should focus on Jesus? God is a compassionate God. And Jesus is full of mercy and grace. And in spite of this man missing the opportunity to say, yes, Lord, Jesus responds in a specific way. And this is what Jesus says to him. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. This man missed it completely. But full of mercy and grace, Jesus says to him. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Jesus responds with a three-part instruction to this man. Get up, take up your mat, and walk. Firstly, Jesus says to him, get up. Jesus calls him to do the impossible. Jesus speaks into his paralyzed state, and Jesus is calling him out of this condition. Jesus is calling him out of the circumstances. Jesus is calling him out of this paralyzed state. And Jesus says, get up. And when this man responds to Jesus, not only does Jesus bring healing to his body, but God strengthens him to stand up. See, when God tells us, get up, he's not expecting us to do this from our own strength. When God tells us, get up, stand up, stand firm, stand strong. If we'll respond in faith by His grace and through His Spirit, He strengthens us to do what He commands us to. He strengthens us to stand up out of our circumstances, to stand up out of our paralyzed faith. He's the one that empowers us to go through the challenges if we respond in faith. Get up. And as this man responded, God strengthened him, gave life to his legs to stand. If Jesus commands you this morning, get up. Know that he's commanding you to trust him, that he will strengthen you to do what he calls you to do. But then Jesus says, take your mat. And studying this, this was the, this was the, this was the command that really caught my attention. You know, in a sense, get up. It's sort of speaking into his condition. It's sort of, it, it makes sense that Jesus said to him, well, because you're paralyzed, I need you to stand up. But take your mat. That's an odd request. That's an odd command. That's an odd instruction. If you think about what's happening here, it's not that Jesus is into, what do you call it, minimalization? Is that the right way? Where you just, yeah, minimalism. Is that correct? Yes, thanks, Gideon. Jesus is not into minimalism. He's not into leaving a neat and tidy place there at Batesta. He's not just creating space for someone else. Why is Jesus commanding this man, take your mat? Have you thought about this? For 38 years, this mat was the permanent resident of this man. For 38 years, this mat has become the symbol of his paralyzed state. And when Jesus says, "Pick up your mat," what Jesus is saying to you to him," what I'm doing is a lasting change. You will not return to this place. Do not become familiar with the state that you're in, because not only am I healing you, but I'm changing the future. I'm giving you a new life. This is not your residence. This is not your place anymore. This is not where you should be. Pick up your mat. There's a new life and a new future, a new residence and a new purpose. You will not come back to this place. Walk in the new life. God touches our souls. It's not just moments of healing. He just heals us and He changes our future. Gives us a new residence a new purpose, a new hope, a new future, a new life. Get up, take your mat, and walk. It's a place where we have to walk away, walk in obedience. And we discover this life of healing. We discover this new life that Jesus has given us as we walk in obedience to Jesus. We discover the new purpose. We discover... His plan by walking away from the paralyzed state into the new life that He's given us. When Jesus says walk, He says, Turn away from this. This is is part of your past. And Jesus doesn't nullify our past, it will always be part of His past. But don't get stuck in your past. Turn and walk into my future for you. Get up, take your mat, and walk. See, this man's response to Jesus brought healing to his paralyzed body and resulted in a completely new life. Jesus didn't just heal him. He brought him new life. How will you respond to Jesus? Jesus says, get up. Take your mat and walk. How will you respond? Is it again out of this hopeless state where you're going to try and do it all by your strength, or you're going to just obey God and trust Him to strengthen you? Not hold on to your past, but walk into the future that God has for you. How will you respond to Jesus? When I prepared for this sermon, um, the thing that constantly caught my attention It's being paralyzed, that feeling of of being paralyzed. And I was reminded of a season in my life where that was probably the closest that I was to being paralyzed. On the 17th of June, 2021, that morning I was uh, tested positively for um, COVID-19. And some of you know this. I know there was a massive amount of people that was praying for me at that stage for that I'm truly thankful. Some of you might have heard portions of my story, but it's not really something that I've been sharing publicly from the pulpit. But for the purpose of this sermon, I felt that there's a component to my testimony that I want to share with you this morning. It's much more, but for the purpose of this, I'm going to stick to one specific area. I was diagnosed, and within 48 hours of being diagnosed, my condition degenerated rapidly. I went from not feeling well to a place where I struggled to breathe. Um, my wife and some of our elders organized the oxygen f- machine for me at home. I had extremely high fever that couldn't be broken. Uh, I stopped eating. I lost all my strength and my energy, and eventually I started coughing blood at our home. Um, I was in a really, really dangerous place. That stage, I was losing consciousness. Um, another emergency services was at our house, and um, my wife was going through a terrible season. We had to isolate, so our kids was removed. Um, it was just really, really bad. And it became worse. Uh, my wife, Lindry, unfortunately, she can't, she can't be here this morning, um, but she was in contact with some of the doctors, doctors in your congregation, our congregation, and through some of the things that they were sharing, she knew I was, in a, I was in a dangerous, dangerous place. And we knew I had to be admitted into the hospital. If some of you can remember, at that stage, um, the hospitals were full, like literally every bed taken. So getting into the hospital was, was almost impossible. In fact, they took me to the hospital, to the emergency room a couple of times, and every time I wasn't admitted. And in a sense, being admitted into the hospital became our Bethesda. that We knew God had to do something, but our hope was getting into the hospital. If I can just get into the hospital, I'll be okay. And by God's grace, and that's a testimony on its own, through someone in your church, a relationship on relationship, a doctor organized a bed for me. So they rushed me to... Um, Little company of Mary. I lay there in the emergency room, waiting to be admitted, waiting for the bed to open up. And lying in the emergency room, um, I remember, I remember just knowing I was in trouble. And I'm not saying this lightly. I know I was entering that place not knowing if I'm coming out, not knowing. If I see my wife and my kids again, I had to say goodbye. Greeted my wife. We shared our passwords. I had to change my banking password again, and, um, and I'm I'm joke a little bit about, but that was the reality. And I felt God tell me, brace yourself, brace yourself. That's my version. I knew I was in for a difficult. Moment, Because in line with the sermon, the hospital was not my Bethesda. Getting into that Bethesda was not going to heal my soul. And what followed was probably the hardest and most difficult couple of days of my life as an individual. My condition went Backwards, I think that's the best way. At that stage I was mostly unconscious, moments of consciousness. I had no breath in my lungs. I've never experienced something like this before. No, no breath in my lungs. I was completely dependent on oxygen to breathe. I had no strength in my body. I couldn't sit up without being assisted, I couldn't walk. So that stage, if I had to go somewhere, it was in a wheelchair. There was just nothing. And reflecting back on that time, that's the closest I felt to being paralyzed. Just know I can't do anything for myself. As you might remember, there was a time where uh, you weren't able to visit someone. And so I was alone in this room. For a couple of days. And there was one evening specifically, and and I'm really sensitive in sharing this. I'm not making it lightly. There was a moment where I felt, this is how it feels to die. A moment. I felt as if life was leaving my body. And I was preparing myself to die. And I remember in between all this emotions and struggles and stuff that I'm going through, not being able to breathe, not... not, Just a moment. I said, just God help me. That was it. I don't know if you've ever been at a place where your prayers run out. That was my prayer. No more words. Just God help me. Whatever needs to happen, whatever lies ahead, help me. Whatever I have to go through now, just help me. And what followed is so difficult for me to put into words. But that evening, I experienced the tangible presence of God like I've never, ever before experienced in my life. It was as if something happened, all alone in that room. There was just a thickness of the presence of God in that room, and something changed. There was an atmosphere that changed. And I can only explain what I felt was like a hand on my chest. And in that moment, for the first time, I felt God speak to me in such a clear understanding, and I felt God say to me, I'm with you. And something happened in my body. Just a massive breath that came into my lungs for the first time in days. It felt as if I breathed, it was just one breath. I wasn't healed, just in that moment. I know that I know that I know God is with me. And reflecting back, I cannot tell you how special and loved. I feel in my worst moment, because the almighty creator was willing to steep down and say, I'm with you. And something about the peace of God filled my heart. I still didn't know that I'm going to live. Those of you wondering about the end of the story, I am here. Honestly, in that moment, I still didn't know that I would live. I was still dependent on oxygen. I still couldn't move. It wasn't this miraculous healing, but I knew that I knew that I knew God was with me. Something changed in my soul that evening. I don't know what lies ahead of me. I don't know what what I and my family might still have to go through, but I know that I know that I know. That the creator of heaven and earth says, I'm with you. And regardless of even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will guide you and I will be with you. And I will strengthen you to walk this road. By God's grace, I was healed. Almost ten days later, nine, eight days later, I was discharged. and I still had a road to walk. I still couldn't walk properly. I still couldn't breathe properly. But I was healed. Now, I don't know why sometimes Jesus walks past everybody lying there, hoping to be healed, and he stops with one person. And we experience healing in this life. And some don't. I don't think the purpose of this sermon is to explain why Jesus stopped with one and not with everyone. But I do know that there's an ultimate healing for all of us at the end of this life. Some of us might experience healing in this life. Some of us will only experience it in the next life. But what I know that I know that I know is once God touches your soul, He strengthens you to walk where you need to walk. And something changes that is lasting. I am with you. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what forms of healing you're trusting for. I don't know where you are in your soul, if you're paralyzed in your body or paralyzed in your soul or paralyzed in your emotions. But I do know that Jesus was willing to enter the sinful and messy world in order to deal with the messy parts of our lives. Jesus became the new house of mercy. Jesus became the Bethesda that all of us are seeking for. Jesus came and demonstrated God's mercy. And if you really want to see change in your life, stop putting your trust and hope in modern-day Bethesda. Stop focusing on your circumstances and your challenges and put your focus on the only one that is able to heal, the only one that is able to restore, the only one that is the real mercy of God, the Bethesda. Because Jesus became man. He was fully God. He became man. He lived the life that we can never live. And when he died on the cross, he died with all the messiness of this world. He died with all the sickness, with all the pain, with all the sin, with all the struggles, with all the modern-day Betestas that we're caught into. It was nailed to His body on the cross. And He took it upon Him. He died and He suffered the death that we deserved. A death that was alone. So much so that He cried out, Father, Father, why have You forsaken me? Left me? He died Alone so that we'll never be alone again. So that we may experience God saying to you, I'm with you. Jesus didn't just die. He rose from the dead proving that He is. We said He is. He is the Son of God. But not just proving that He's the Son of God. Proving that He has authority over death. Authority over sickness. Authority over your struggles. Authority over everything that we might face in this world. And that He offers us new life. He tells us, get up your mat. Do not be comfortable where you are. I have a new purpose and destiny for you. For those of you who are willing to respond. I don't know what you're facing. But would you respond to Jesus? Would you focus on him? And as you do this, may you hear him say to you this morning, get up. Take your mat and walk. As a church, we need to be careful to portray church as the modern-day Bethesda. Hoping that the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed will come to this to be healed. I believe there's healing in community. Don't get me wrong. Jesus is the Bethesda, not church. And the church is called to go into the messy part of the world, to the modern day Bethesdas, and help the blind and the lame and the paralyzed to see Jesus. And from the place of experiencing Jesus, we bring them into family. May we not just experience healing for ourselves, may we not just trust God to do something in ourselves, but may we be the people. That go into the testers of this world and say, there's someone else. There's a Jesus that wants to heal you. Amen.